this video, this is Recorded for Quality Assurance, an interview series where we talk to the world's leading CX experts about industry trends, CX technology, and simplifying the process of delivering great customer service. Welcome, welcome. Today we have on the pod with us, Stephen Lloyd. Welcome, Stephen. Can I record this call for Quality Assurance? Absolutely, Haley, and thank you for having me on uh, this beautiful Wednesday morning here in uh, Northern Virginia. Thank you so much for being with us. Let's start out with just learning a little bit about your background. Can you give our listeners and readers some insight into your background, where you started and how you got to where you are today? Yes, such a uh, uh, reflective question, I suppose. I'm the founder and principal at Trends Owl, but my journey began um, a long time ago back um, in the 90s after graduate school, I worked for the governor of Massachusetts with a focus on globalization and kind of the emerging role of tech at that time, the first kind of dot-com frenzy at uh, the, the trade office for the governor. So did a lot of traveling. And the reason I bring it up is um, technology back then was just starting to um, make a real impact on the general consciousness, I suppose, in the context of globalization, although the real focus back then was more on labor arbitrage. And I bring that up because of um, its relevance to some of the stuff I would do later. Uh, but after four years, I segued to um, a privately held telecom company that was funded in part by Titan Corporation out in California. And we did some really cool stuff around the world, again, that international theme. Uh, wireless local loop data access and voice for companies in places like India and Bangladesh and Ghana and Cameroon. So that was a lot of fun, really cool stuff. And then um, in the early, kind of early mid aughts, I segued from there uh, to IDC and uh, for about six and a half years was on the BPO or business process outsourcing team with a particular focus on customer contact and uh, really enjoyed that outside of Boston and uh, went to Stream Global Services for a short time. There was a leadership change uh, going on there. So it was a, a brief stint into the uh, dark arts of uh, a BPO. And then I went to Frost and Sullivan for about seven and a half years. Similar focus is at IDC as an analyst um, on the digital transformation team. And again, with a focus on the the contact ecosystem. And then with my magical sense of timing, six months or so before uh, the pandemic hit, I founded Trends Owl here in uh, Northern Virginia, where I'm based. And uh, that was in September, 2019. And I've, um, I've been having a lot of fun at it ever since working from home. So that's my long journey, uh, probably too long of an answer for you. Not at all. It's extremely interesting. And I love that you said the dark arts of BPO. I think uh, it's a complicated, a complicated industry. So I'm going to use that, steal that from you later on. Yeah, so, the dark, dark world. Yeah, that's right. Talked about Trends Owl. Can you share a little bit more with our audience about your day-to-day -day role and responsibilities as the founder and principal of Trends Owl and basically just give us some insight into what you guys do? Yeah, so I follow what's interesting. That is my overarching um, 
driver behind Trenzel. And I keep an eye on what's going on and what interests me. I drink a lot of coffee. And uh, actually, I see my therapist every work day. His name is Jim, spelled G-Y-M. And uh, he's been great during the pandemic in particular, keeps my energy up. But um, uh, yeah, I watch all aspects of the contact ecosystem. And whatever happens to pop up that seems particularly interesting, I like to kind of zero in on. In fact, I just um, spoke in Lisbon on at, a, at an event with a focus on the metaverse, uh, which is becoming more and more of an interest of mine. Um, and it's kind of a separate discussion, but I'm really interested. One of the, the reasons is not just the immersive aspects of what the metaverse might become as time goes on um, for the CX and for the employee experience as well, but also kind of how companies are going to figure out how to build out the infrastructure for the metaverse. And that kind of goes back to my time in the telecom space that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Um, it's an enormous undertaking. So it's going to be really fun to follow that. So I just honestly, Haley, I try to have fun with what I'm doing. And um, I do a lot of collaboration with other guys and gals in the industry and uh, been doing it uh, since the fall of 2019, about two and a half years. And it's been really good. That's incredible. What a fun job that you'd be being able to get that time to really research and stay on the cutting edge of what's occurring in the industry or what's occurring even outside of our industry that can be implemented into, into the CX world. That's so cool. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's a, that's one of the, the reasons I, you know, I do a lot of stuff on the BPO space and the contact center systems but also on the, uh, as I just mentioned, the telecom infrastructure aspects of things is really interesting because of my past. And so I'd like to stay on top of that. I just did a piece for um, Intelligent Sourcing Magazine. Uh, John Yarlett runs a great shop there. Another example of uh, collaboration, but I just wrote a piece for him with a telecom focus. So yeah, there's all sorts of uh, interweaving themes and ideas that it's good to keep an eye on. So in that, keeping with that theme of new ideas and new theories of how we best offer customer service and customer experience, there's a lot of interest and focus on self-service technology, bots, chat, automated email, the list goes on. And often organizations make speaking to a live agent the last resort. Would you say this is a best practice or should we make going directly to an agent a more accessible option? Well, that's a really good, I mean, this stuff is so intriguing. It's the question you're asking uh, and it's going to become more so over time as technology advances. But I'm one who believes that the chatbot, for example, um, might not significantly or fundamentally improve over the next, say, you know, decade plus. Um, another way of saying that is that free-flowing conversation will remain beyond its capabilities. Um, so products currently using conversational AI, chatbots, virtual assistants are based on, I like this term weak AI in quotes. In other words, a small range of tasks that are performed for customers on demand 
Um, and that can include everything from voice commands for playing music or switching on a light and all that stuff. Um, but AI is somewhat, I would argue, stuck at the moment. Um, for the most part, the system's capabilities are still defined as narrow intelligence. It's still impressive, but relatively speaking, relatively narrow. Um, again, kind of completing a specific task for which a system was uh, trained on lots of data. Now, uh, there has been speculation on uh, things like OpenAI's GPT-3. We've all been reading about an example of a possible exception to that. The first instance, some have argued where uh, machine intelligence, um, while not, quote, general intelligence or general AI, has kind of surpassed um, that narrow definition. The algorithm, in other words, was trained to write text, but it, it's ended up being able to do other things like translate between languages and write code, do math, um, and then perform some other language-related tasks that it wasn't specifically trained to do. But having said that, um, I don't think that the dramatic innovation in voice automation or what you might call strong AI, in quotes, um, is upon us just yet. And I think it'll take some time. And so if you think, so what, what that really means, if you think about it, is that um, the voice channel really is a channel that thrives on generating revenue. And it does that via human beings at the end of the day. So um, in some use cases, automation, I've talked this about, uh, about this before, or digitizing in the name of cost savings, um, it can really impact revenues negatively um, if done improperly. You know, if revenues can go down 30, 50, 80%, and one needs to understand that the kind of the conversion rate associated with um, specific streams of calls. Um, so there's some scenarios where conversion rates can be cut, as I just said, uh, by misapplying automation. So revenue productivity um, of the human interface is really important to keep in mind. And in the context of the CX, that's everything. So um, it's a real problem and you see this a lot when an enterprise's IT department is too focused on cost, cutting cost or things like uptime and, and they're not aligning their goals with that revenue generation idea or imperative. And so, um, you know, sometimes it might make sense for IT to report into marketing and sales or, you know, in other words, up to revenue. Um, so your question is a really good one because it starts a whole conversation on the role of self-service and human beings and how they're gonna to work together and hand off to each other um, as technology gets better and better. And I'm, I've talked a lot about exponential technological change and the power of exponential technology, but nonetheless, when it comes to this specific, um, the sophistication of voice, I don't think that there's going to be a dramatic change anytime soon. Um, but I say that with a lot of, um, you know, I'm humble when I say that because none of us really know. I mean, things change so quickly. I think it's a very, not, not necessarily controversial, but I think there are a lot of different schools of thought. And I like that you, I feel like what 
your answer is, is very realistic that it's out there, but it's going to take a lot of time. And we can't think as leaders that we're going to just implement these AI self-service technologies and it's going to really lessen the load of our of our agents that we need to be really realistic about the specific use cases where these technologies fit yeah and it's something yeah. that i think sometimes leadership can get a little removed from and exactly to your point when they're thinking about revenue specifically yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, uh, I love uh, war metaphors and the fog of battle. And that's what we're in now with the pace of technological change. And, um, you know, now you might add in the, uh, the volatility of the markets. Um, it's important to do exactly what you just kind of um, pointed to, which is stop and stay with what is real for now. I mean, there is you know, will some magical thing happen in the near future? Strong word, magical, uh, possibly. Um, but for now, we know what is real and it makes sense to stick with that while also staying attuned to the pace of change. So I think that's well said, Ellie. Staying, staying up with the trends, which you know all about. So uh, again, following up with that, this is a polarizing thing. And the data that we have seen here at Vistio on CX indicates that even with the best AI self-service technologies, most interactions continue to be with a live agent. Would you agree with this? Well, AI is still evolving, as we just said. So a larger proportion of calls are definitely being automated and the pandemic has definitely played a role in that. Uh, two years ago, EY did a survey where they said that some 41% of respondents um, were investing in accelerating automation as businesses prepare for you know, the post pandemic reality. And a majority of companies said they were already planning actually major transformation before the pandemic hit, which is really interesting. And that once um, a more normal state returned, they would focus on new investment in digital and technology like never before. That's what the survey found. There's one example. Um, but if you think about it, when a, if a few companies start to offer such agility, as far as the CX goes, then customers are going to expect the same of everyone across industries. I mean, that's kind of a blanket statement, but I believe it. In other words, ex expectations from customers are liquid across industries. Companies that don't keep up are going to, you know, they're going to suffer over time. So that's uh, kind of a long way of saying that technology stacks are definitely becoming more formidable and efficient um, across the systems landscape and advances in AI or layering into those provider stacks. Um, many applications of AI are pro proliferating um, like never before. And we just talked about virtual assistants, but other things like predictive routing and process automation, voice biometrics, uh, RPA that's assisted and unassisted, automated forecasting Q&A. Um, 
So along the way, increasing percentages of tasks and interactions will be automated, but not completely. Um, so while improved self-service um, will definitely be playing more of a role, the more complex inquiries are gonna continue to go to the agents to provide judgment and empathy, higher reasoning. And um, it, going back to my point about weak versus strong AI, if you don't have AI that can reason through things and empathize yet, then um, you're going to have to go to a human being. And uh, that, by the way, uh, would be relevant, not just for the CX, but for the EX, the employee experience as well. Absolutely. And it's interesting, I think, as the internet is, when I look for statistics about where things are going, it's whatever you look for is what you're going to find. And so I think I can find statistics that support going further into self-service technologies. And then we can support uh, data that supports that people want to still speak with an agent. And so I'm more in the school of thought of what you just said that we, and what we've been reiterating that there's some things that will continue to be automated using tools like RPA, but then that, that agent is still, we're not going to see that job going away. We'll see, yeah, we'll see technologies that enhance that self-service, but then also technologies, as you said, that will enhance the employee experience making that better with those technologies. I love that you touched on that. Yeah. So in that talking about data, is there any data out there as you have your finger on the pulse that you are aware of that compares CX scores for the same interaction handled by self-service technology and an agent? Does the CX outcome differ between those two interactions? Yeah, this is a really intriguing question. I'm, I'm not aware of any data offhand, but what I could offer is a book suggestion. And it's the classic, The Effortless Experience that was published a few years ago by the Corporate Executive Board. And its main theme is this idea that regardless of self-service or agent-enabled, what the customer wants above all is to have their issue resolved. They're not looking for bells and whistles. They're looking to exert the least amount of effort to fix a problem or an issue that they have. And they'll reward companies with customer loyalty that fulfill on that. So whichever means resolves a particular problem or issue, whether it's self-service or a human being, an agent, the CX score is going to reflect that. Um, either way, companies, they need to be positioning themselves for kind of that reality in the next um, iteration of technologies. And if they don't embrace digital, which we've been talking about here over the last few questions, um, they're going to suffer uh, again, point that I just made. So they need to understand which digital technologies are required now and which are gonna become more important as they plan strategic planning and prioritize their budgets and sequence their investments and do their you know, implementation, scheduling, et cetera, et cetera. And the goal again is to develop an agile digital 
completely transformed enterprise that's capable of acting and reacting to all the changing uh, data, all the digital flux fast enough to make a difference, to create kind of a symphony of automation and human beings. Um, so that's what it comes down to me, for me. I'm a big fan of customer effort score and lowering the amount of effort that a consumer or uh, an employee has to manage uh, when it comes to any specific inter interaction or any specific tasks. So not a direct answer to your question, but um, the best that I can that I can offer. <laughs> it's a great one. I think you've nailed it. And we've talked, we, we keep coming back to this theme that yes, you need to stay agile. You need to stay up on the trends, but you also need to evaluate your own business and understanding your customers and how they're interacting and their needs in order to make a digital plan moving forward that is appropriate for your organ your specific organization not just looking at what the newest thing is and thinking that you need it and you've got to implement it but knowing your organization and your customers and filling those gaps appropriately yeah, precisely. And that's not um, an easy thing to do at a time when things are changing so quickly. And um, so it makes a lot of sense to reach out and get ideas from other sources and um, experts because um, it's a fluid environment. And it's it sounds easy to oh, make your strategic planning and this and that, review all the technologies, but um, it's easier said than done. Yeah, we'll get to uh, questions about resources, you've named a great book, but I look forward to hearing more about the, the resources that you recommend. So you've already kind of discussed this question and answered it, but I'd like to reiterate it. So from what you see in the industry and as you're constantly reading and keeping up with the trends that are coming at us, is the focus in investing CX technology really aligned to the customer experience as the primary goal? Or is the underlining motivation on consumer-facing companies typically more about operation efficiency and cost reduction? Yeah, that I, I, well, I think it's both. They're entangled concepts and you it's hard to untangle them. But we're at a stage where much remains cloudy because of the speed of change. And what intrigues me about your, you use the word uh, investing there, which is important. We've gone through this period, the last few years of almost frantic venture capital investing in general. And that includes the CX space um, within tech. Uh, so one consequence of the pandemic kind of fed shopping boom are that venture capitalists with all the competition for deals and they don't want to miss out on um, the next stripe, for example, they've thought, um, you know, they've been throwing money at startups um, to make e-commerce smoother. That's been their objective. Um, even ones with, you know, some of these startups are, have some questionable business models or sometimes some questionable technologies. Um, and now we're at a phase where, you know, some of the, those types are facing a bit of a reckoning with uh, some of the challenges that are 
that are hitting them. And you know, some of the software, for example, and stick with the shopping example or e-commerce, has yet to be proven. Um, Fast, the one-click checkout startup, recently kind of imploded, and then Bolt is another example that uh, had re- uh, layoffs recently. And then there's, um, I was reading about this recent example of Nate. The company's called Nate, another one-click startup. Um, it's a little bit different than Fast and Bolt in that it charges shoppers rather than merchants um, based in New York. And it was founded a few years ago, Um, but it's a shopping startup that seeks to automatically fill out shoppers contact and payment info on retailers website. And uh, I think it charges like a dollar per transaction in, um, in exchange for sparing them the, uh, all the work of data entry on their phones, which is great. Um, when you think about that point I made about customer effort and uh, making it more of a seamless uh, seamless experience. So kind of billing itself as an AI startup with an app that allows iPhone shoppers to make a purchase really easily from any retailer's website with just a couple of of taps. Um, But, you know, I recently the company you know, said it was using AI to populate all the customer info during the checkout process, but there was a great article in the information um, where actually there were workers in the Philippines that were needed to manually do some of that data entry. Um, and it's just an, it's an, ex, an example that was recently written about that, um, you know, either way, chasing operational efficiency and reduced cost um, is a it's it's easier said than done again, and it it can be also my earlier point. It can be risky. I mean, um, back to my point about um, revenue conversion rates. Um, they tend to be in call centers. To bring it back to the to the contact center world, they're an order of magnitude higher um, than online. In, in other words, if if a customer goes to a website that they they are significantly less likely to buy something um, rather than if they were talking to a human being. So revenue intensive applications um, favor favor the phone, favor the human being. And revenue is kind of the ultimate KPI when it comes to that. So Kind of an involved question, you know, these investments in CX technology are aiming to do a lot of things at once, um, but they must keep in mind the realities that, um, you know, sometimes number one, the technologies and the AI are still progressing and they might not quite be there yet, even as impressive gains are being made. And then number two, um, you know, remember the role of, of the human being when you're looking to make your, your operations more efficient or to cut costs. I mean, it can be a, a risky thing to do um, to cut them out of the equation too much unintentionally, perhaps. Yeah, I think especially when we're dealing with personal data and people's credit card information and that kind of thing, the risk management aspect it seems so exciting but you need to have some people that are evaluating the risk aspect of it 
And also we talk about this so much on the podcast. I talk about it so much with industry friends and colleagues that the technology is great, but where it is the sweet spot is where we have this technology. We have excellent process, which is actually where we start the great technology, but then people and the intersection of where it, the power comes from for a deliberate, yeah. excellent customer experience is where they all intersect in that Venn diagram. And for one, sure. that, yeah, that's the world we're living in right now. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I will say just on a personal note that the automatic filling in of the information even though it is, it, I have found it works amazing, but it has um, made it very easy for me. And uh, my credit card bill reflects that. <laughs> yeah, no, and exactly. And you appreciate um, how easy it is back to that idea of the seamless experience. And, and um, we're not going back. I mean, companies that can't offer that type of experience aren't going to make it. Yeah. And as much as, and as you were saying, as much as I appreciate the ease into which I can make that purchase, I do have a moment where I am nervous about where that data is being held and who has access to that data mm. just from coming from a background where risk management has been a focus. So as much as that self-service is amazing, it's, I can see where it comes with some kinks and I'll be interested to see where that goes or what pops up in the news, like you were talking about what specific companies that provide that service, what the pitfalls are and what challenges they face. Well, it, it's funny you mentioned it because just before the call, I was scanning some of the news and I retweeted um, from TechCrunch, uh, this company that's you know gotten some funding and it's all, it's it's Boston-based company, but it's, it's business is data governance. So those concerns about privacy, but also compliance with new laws like GDPR in Europe um, and all the movement of this data into the cloud. And it's a company that helps, you know, in tandem, I think, with with firms like Snowflake um, to govern that data, to monitor that data, um, because to your point, you want to be careful about your privacy and other issues. So it's a fast moving landscape. And, um, it's really, it's really good that you brought that up. It's great that, that you brought it up. Um, switching the focus back to being more set, focused on contact centers, when you are advising contact centers on improving CX, where do you begin? Uh, how do you map out the step-by-step -step plan? And you don't have to give away all your secrets, but, uh, just, Basically, where do you where do you start? Yeah, that starting point is the key um, for the purposes of this discussion. A bit of a postcard. So I think I'd go back to this um, a book like The Effortless Experience. That's my bias. In other words, how do you solve the customer's problem? You know, what's the least amount of effort and confusion? Ask those big questions um, as the bedrock of any kind of step by step plan. And insofar as technologies can help you do that, that's great. One of my favorite ideas, concepts comes from um, Marcus Aurelius, uh, the great thinker from a long time ago. Whenever you're, he said, whenever you're in a confusing situation, a fast moving, 
situation, everything is shrouded in a fog of complexity and you don't know what's going on, you should just stop and ask yourself the one key question is, what is the essence of this thing that you're facing? That's what he, he said. And I think it's timeless advice. That's where you start. What is the essence of the thing? Um, that's the beginning of clarity and resolution. So simplify, simplify would be my um, uh, uh, urging. So if you're a company serving customers and in fact employees, are your systems easy to use? Are they clear? If not, there's a great deal of frustration that can uh, kind of ferment over time. Some of us, um, you know, we all have friends, have seen examples at some workplaces, squirrely software one's expected to use. And, you know, it just causes um, more pain than um, anything else. Uh, I actually, I love the video that you have on your website at Vistio because it kind of conveys this idea very well, turning someone into a top agent by making things simple and clear. And I think that there's so much wisdom in that. Yeah, I, I truly believe in Vistio with that idea that less is more. Yep. The, you know, if we are asking our agents to toggle back and forth, I say this basically on every podcast, if we're asking our agents to toggle back and forth between multiple interfaces, multiple screens, and they're searching for this data instead of getting it, getting the knowledge they need when they need it, mm. that yeah. it, it can turn into a big mess as we just add onto the stack. And for sure. And, you know, even software, you're not even sure why you're using it or what the point of it is, or sometimes it doesn't even work, you know, and it's just causes so much stress and frustration sometimes. So when you're advising contact centers and when you go in and you look at the existing contact center, what are some of the, you've kind of touched this a little bit, but what are say like the three things that you see the most that are the breakdown in process or what are the three things that you see right away that are the quick fixes for creating better customer service from the agent? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, from the agent's perspective, it's how do you make things easier? And it's um, back to the idea of AI. If you've got AI that can directly interact with customers, um, that can take away a certain amount of frustration for the agent, um, and you know how to implement it, and it can impact, say, 10 or 20% of uh, call stream, so to speak, then that makes sense. And you should look to um, harmonize it with that human being um, and make it easier for an agent in the, in the contact center. Um, and then you can also have uh, AI that works alongside the agent uh, with things like RPA and then uh, even in the back office. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think having, when you talk about RPA and connecting that agent to the back office, that's where we see some really big power happen where agents can get the knowledge that they need right away and the correct information 
And yeah. I think that you can use case of RPA specifically is, is amazing. And where the flow from back office to the agent works the best. I think when I talk to people who work in contact centers, oftentimes there is a breakdown of the flow of information and in an f- industry or in a specific organization where processes, policies, things like that are changing quickly and the information isn't trickling down properly. Yeah. That's where I think tools like Vistius, I, for instance, it, are so powerful because you can make that change right away and it will fr- reflect to your agent right yeah, away. Yeah, well said, yeah. Yeah, they're so they can be connected. And so this actually is a great, this leads me into my next question. And we've, again, we've discussed this, but I'd love to dig deeper into it. What functions are AI AI the best fit for providing excellent CX? Yeah, um, this goes back to my point. Um, I think of it as kind of a threefold model to go into a little bit more depth on this. So you could have AI in front of the agent where you have direct interaction with customers, things like chatbots, self-service, speech, IVR, voice assistants, smart speakers, all that groovy stuff. Um, And then second, you have conceptually AI alongside the agent. Um, So AI and, and as you say, robotic process automation to provide assistance to the agent, things like real-time recommendations, in other words, or automated coaching, proactive knowledge retrieval, desktop integration and automation. And then thirdly, um, conceptually, you could have AI, as you said, behind the agent, um, AI, RPA, and this thing, cognitive process automation or CPA working in the back office. An example would be um, like machine translation or AI that offers partial automation with human validation to achieve kind of translation quality and also things like predictive analytics. Um, So I think that's kind of the best way to think about it. I love that. And I love that you put such a complicated concept into a simple threefold for that's easy to understand. And then easy to not easy to implement, but easy to understand and a great starting point. Yeah. So where would you suggest customer-focused companies allocate their time and spend? Where would it be the most valuable? Um, You know, there was, say, the CEO of this company called AtScale, back to this idea of how important data is. Um, It sells software that speeds uh, data analytics projects. And he made a good point a couple of years ago right around the time the pandemic started that seems relevant to your question. Um, and he, you know, things have changed the last couple of months, but at the time he said that surging valuations of companies that store and analyze data are a sign of things to come. And I think that's true despite the current market situation. I think the good firms are gonna find their way. In other words, he said that investors realize that AI and data analytics companies are going to have a bigger impact in the next decade, he said, in terms of value creation than all the internet companies of the past 40 or so years, something like that. Um, and what, you know, he's getting back to this idea of exponential change, which I think is key. So despite the current 
um, challenges in the market in the marketplace and some valuations are changing. I think that AI and data analytics, he's exactly right that um, you've got to, if you're customer focused, you better be focusing on thinking about um, those tools that are emerging. Um, it, also, just before the pandemic in October 2020, McKinsey did a survey that um, noted that investments in data security and artificial intelligence are the changes uh, respondents were most often identifying as helping to position organizations better than they were before the crisis. So back to that idea of AI and um, data analytics, but also data security is gonna become hugely important to focus on and to allocate your, your time and your spend uh, going forward. That's really interesting. I think when on my side, because I'm really focused on the agent experience and the agent technology, but I do always have that creeping in the back of my head of how are we protecting the data and the spend, where the spend should be allocated because we have, we, we've seen these data breaches that can pull down mm. large, large organizations that we trust. I think I won't name names, but a bank, a well-known bank, it's my bank that had a data breach that I would think would never, that their spend would be so focused on protecting that data and to have, to see a large organization have a breach like that is mm. disheartening. And why yeah. not more of a focus, especially for a financial industry. And yeah, the repercussions of it are so huge on so many levels, but in our, for the purposes of our discussion, if you're going to, you know, I talked about customer effort as a key aspect of customer loyalty, but if you're going to compromise people's privacy and their data, um, you know, there's another huge thing to, to worry about. Um, interesting, I was reading this morning as well, and I tweeted out an article on uh, cybersecurity startups. And, um, you know, some of the valuations are going down because of what happened in the market. But, you know, for the good ones, the good ones are going to survive and team up with bigger or be acquired by bigger firms. Because to your point, the role that they're playing is so huge and so important, even in the midst of um, kind of the strange times we're living through and the market fluctuations right now. So true. So I'm going to go a little off script. So when we talk about data and data analytics and the things that we're specifically speaking on contact centers, and when we look at the performance metrics that we get from calls, do you think that there should be a metric that is fo employee focused where we are going in and having the contact center agent fill out surveys much like the actual customers do in regards to their satisfaction of their job? And will the contact center agent feel that that's valuable being heard? Just curious your thoughts. Yeah. Um, well, back to this point about the employee experience is it's part of providing a great customer experience and you have to have good people. I mean, there are challenges now. I was reading 
this morning another piece about um, uh, uh, this in the United States specifically a challenge finding people uh, to work in contact centers. Um, a lot of the, the agents are uh, there's a lot of growth in the in the nearshore market in LATAM, et cetera. But in the U.S., there's some real challenges. And this comes back to your point about it's really important to be asking your employees, hey, um, how are things going? Is this working for you? Are these technologies working for you or not? Because if you lose good employees, it's going to impact um, how you're interacting with your customers. So, uh, you know, absolutely. And I've, I've recommended another book a million times, but Tom Peters, uh, The Excellence Dividend, that's one of the major themes. I mean, you've got to have good people that are motivated and want to do a great job, uh, paradoxically, more and more as technology infuses itself across our daily lives and our daily landscape. And in the contact center, that's particularly important. Um, so you, you have to stay on top of that stuff with the EX, absolutely. So when, when we talk about EX, then we really focus on that here in Vistio. If you are making your agent's job easier, their work life easier, they're obviously going to provide better customer experience. But in regards to how we motivate our agents, because we are in contact centers experience attrition rates like no other, what are some of the ways that you would recommend to clients to combat attrition and to get, stay connected with employee and their satisfaction with their job? Well, the first one is... Um you know, make sure that you're paying them well. Um, that's going to become, that's already an issue. Um, you've got to, I'm a big believer in paying people well. The, the second thing is this hammering this point. I mean, it's not just about making the customer experience seamless. Make your employee experience with technology that they are working with as seamless as possible. Don't make it a frustration for them. Um, and if you can improve that employee experience through that mechanism or through that mean, through those means, then it's going to pay huge dividends. If you're working with, back to our point about working with AI that can take certain stuff off their plate and make them more productive, um, then when they're on a call with a customer and the customer is interacting with a human being, that's where the magic has an opportunity to happen. That's where the revenue is really generated when you uh, look at the statistics. Yeah, I agree. I This is totally personal. I think um, when we talk about technology and we talk about simplifying and we talk about staying up with trends, but not just grabbing the trend that's the newest thing and implementing it into your contact center, but knowing what is correct for your contact center. I think that's a place where we can perhaps find some, some spend to allocate to our agents. So yeah. yeah, not spending so much money on technology and then using that extra cash to push towards our agents for doing a job that is very complicated and and very stressful. What are your thoughts on where, where to find those funds that we can pay our agents better? 
Uh, well, if you're if you're doing a good job of um, meshing technology with human beings for your clients, um, the point I made about revenue generation happening through the human interface, that's um, it's kind of J curve shifting toward the human interface. In other words, productivity and revenue generation happens. That's where the magic happens. And if you're doing a good job of that as a provider with your uh, clients, enterprises across industries, then everybody's going to make more money. So um, that's, I guess that's the, the simplest explanation I could give. I love that. I love that idea. I like to think of sometimes how we get customers is not a funnel, but a flywheel. So when people have excellent experiences, they go and tell their friends, those friends come and become customers. They become enamored and delighted with the customer customer service they're getting. And then they go out and that's a great way where we can talk about generating revenue to pay agents more. Yeah, it goes back. It just struck me this, you know, in the in the book, The Effortless Experience, one uh, point that they hammer home is uh, if, if you're not making the experience relatively seamless for the customer through the proper mix of technology and human beings, um, not only will they not remain loyal customer, but they are far more apt to go out and tell somebody not to. Um, to buy your product or service. So to your point about talking amidst your friends and on the negative side, it, it has a dramatic impact if you're not doing this stuff correctly. Absolutely. I love that. We just found some, found some monies there. Yeah. So moving forward, do you believe as an industry, we are headed in the right direction with how we utilize technology and humans in delivering excellent CX. We've covered this, but I'd like to reiterate it. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the push to innovate really is impressive that I've seen over the last number of years as an analyst. Um, over the last decade, met the, the attempt to mesh human beings and technology. Um, there's obvious examples of the, the big players you know, before the pandemic um, went to a lot of events with Genesis, for example. And, you know, they talk all day about believing that technology such as AI and machine learning can improve um, service at the point of need, bringing, in other words, intelligent automation with a human touch to self-service. Um, things like matching a customer to the best possible agent and driving better forecasting and scheduling and all of that stuff, uh, creating better agent desktop content, guided assistant for the agent. They call it, you know, their blended AI approach would be the term that they would use that aims at this seamless combination of AI, bots, automation, and human beings to kind of infuse intelligence across the contact center, and they had loads of acquisitions over the years from Alto Cloud in 2019 back to Interactive Intelligence a few years ago, Soundbite going back even you know longer, Utopi, Echo Pass, all in the pursuit of um, of that 
of that theme. And I could mention Avaya as well, their AI related R&D over the years has continued like over a decade. Um, you know, Avaya Ava was deployed within its own customer support organization before it was productized for commercial use. Um, automating digital interactions with chatbot and all of that stuff. So they've been innovating over time, working at that solution to make it better. Um, and again, and, and they, like a Genesis, they've had acquisitions of, you know, Spoken um, was an example to strengthen their CCAS and their UCAS capabilities. Um, also kind of catalyzed AI um, and, as well as some of their more mobile focused identity solutions. Um, and th they also worked with Affinity for behavioral pairing technology. They have really good solutions, a really um, interesting company. So I do, to answer your question, TalkDesk is another one, and it goes on and on, that over the years, the push to innovate, <clears throat> and you see it at their events <clears throat> and in other forums really is, um, impressive to mesh human beings and technologies. So I think that we're headed in the right direction for sure as an industry. It's That's exciting. I think that's what is so exciting about CX. What I found being immersed in the industry is that this is a quick, it's quick paced mm. and it, there, it is an innovative industry that is fast pace and fast moving and changes are happening quickly to make sure that the cus that customers are feeling satisfied and things are being handled efficiently and effectively. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> what's really interesting and cool is, you know, for years of people would say, Oh, there's nothing, you know, the contact center never changes. And it's like, what you just said <clears throat> is, is now the truth. It's, it's innovating and changing. It's such an, the more you dig into the space, the more interesting it becomes because you start to touch upon questions of that have everything to do with humanity. I mean, how many millions of contact center agents are there globally across the world? And everyone should be asking themselves the question, how is technology potentially going to impact that population, giant population of employees? Um, Yuval Noah Harari and Sapiens, the book that everybody should read. Um, you know, he's got a particular take and he warns of a future kind of um, where technology takes a huge amount of jobs. Um, and you have this kind of global quote, I think it's the term is useless class, you know, and you're kind of like, oh my God, what if this happens? Um, and then you have other optimists like a Peter Diamandis or others that say, well, no, you know, technology historically has always created new opportunities and new jobs. And I tend to, um, I tend to drift in that direction myself, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be asking the questions that are hugely important. And wouldn't you know it, it's happening in the contact center industries directly relevant to our industry, the big questions of employment and how they will impact society have to be asked and should be asked and talked about. And so your point about how so much is happening in the space is, is so true because you can walk into loads of discussions and contexts and companies and enterprises and talk about now the role of the contact center is kind of at the nexus of all of these big questions. 
That's a great answer. I remember when RPA kind of first hit the market and I was a low level marketing employee. And I remember having the fear in that moment, naively thinking that RPA, the emergence of RPA could take my job. And looking back on that, how, how silly that was to think as a low-level marketing employee starting out that the robots were going to take my job and how far, yeah. it, how far it's come. So it's just an interesting reflection back to when it first hit the market and to where we are today. Well, and we were talking about this. Uh, I was sat on a panel as well last week or two weeks ago when I was in Lisbon at this event talking about the, the metaverse and then the, the panel was about the roboverse, you know, and all of these questions and the questions are out there and they need to be asked. But the only immediate answer, in my opinion, is back to our earlier point about there's a lot happening. Things are changing exponentially and very quickly. But what we know now is to ground yourself in doing the best job you can do and work with technology to help aid you in that pursuit as a human being. And I think if we do that, we're going to be okay. That's my belief. I couldn't agree more. So what is the biggest misconception that companies have regarding what drives positive CX? Uh, I I think it's a, I think of two things. First, to return to the premise again of the effortless experience. One common misconception is that customers are looking for extras and bells and whistles to be blown away with service. And it's my belief that at the end of the day, they want their issue resolved. I agree with that book. Um, Secondly, the belief that AI can solve every problem and is the magic elixir, the solution for everything and anything. And you made this point earlier, Heli. We're not there yet. Now, maybe there will be some point in time that um, artificial general intelligence is achieved. Um, Actually, this reminds me that there was a a guy, I think with DeepMind, I have to double check this, um, but he insists that we've actually already reached AGI or artificial general intelligence. And it's only a matter of computing power and the ability to scale that. Um, but I'm, I'm still a believer that, you know, although computer, the computing power is advancing exponentially, algorithmic, um, sophistication has not been racing ahead exponentially. It's been more of a linear, in some cases, even sublinear progression. And if you're going to offer the magic elixir of, Um, the singularity or a machine that is as smart as a human being and can handle complex questions with empathy like a human being, then you're going to need the master algorithm that Ray Kurzweil talks about to be able to manage that. Now, one thing that should give us pause is a guy like Ray Kurzweil, um, who's a consultant for Google, computer scientist, he, he insists that we're going to get there by the end of this decade. Um, you know, if, if that's the case, then wow. And, and I'm not anybody to say that it couldn't happen, but I'm a lot more skeptical that, that the magic algorithm is going to be discovered. So I think as of where we are right now, the biggest misconception 
would be that one. And then that point about the, the effortless experience. That's very interesting. And I like, I like that it's realistic that, yeah, maybe it, maybe it is in our future, but we are a long ways away from it. And we need to understand that. And going back to what we spoke about earlier, understanding the correct use cases for it and where we are right now with the technology is so important. You've answered all these questions. Amazing. This has been such a great conversation. And you've, you've mentioned a lot of great resources, specifically books and individuals. Um, but I'd love to get you to add some more. What resources in the form of podcasts, publications, blogs, things like that, do you regularly reference to stay on top of industry trends and news? Yeah, well, I, as I said earlier, I do my best to track goings on across the entire contact ecosystem. And I've given you a few examples of my tweets this morning. Uh, that's just an example, you know, chug the coffee and scan the uh, universe and see what's out there. Um, and that means watching and following the best systems companies. I've mentioned a couple of them here. Um, the big BPOs, the, you know, the top guys. Um, and again, I was with one of them last week. Um, and then all the smaller and more disruptive firms and the startups that are doing so many cool things from AI to data. H have to throw a shout out to the CX files. I mean, Mark Hillary and Peter Ryan are great. And um, that's a really nice reference for people that can get, you know, if you go into the library, there's a lot of great discussion. I do think that in-person stuff is key. I've really missed live events. And um, thankfully this year, I've been able to get out there again a little bit. Hopefully that'll continue. As I said, I was just in Lisbon in May. I was in Kigali uh, in Rwanda in March, some amazing things going on there. You get a real feel for things, meeting new people. The energy is great in person. And this is coming from a guy I was writing about home shoring in the early 2000s at IDC as an analyst. Um, and, you know, a lot of skepticism back then that there should be a lot of home-based agents. But, you know, I kind of laid out the case for why it was probably inevitable. Um, but I still believe that energy from in-person interactions is so important. And then I mentioned uh, the excellence dividend, Tom Peters. He makes a really good point in the book. You know, if you should be having lunch with someone new at work on a regular basis um, to get their ideas and their specific perspectives to broaden your own horizons and your own knowledge um, to stay on top of things. And I think that's a great way to put it. I think that's such a great point. And I, I agree with you. I miss that interaction on an, at an event on the floor where you're running into people at, you know, the meal times sitting next to someone who you would perhaps never meet and you sit and have a meal and you can spur this great conversation. And that great conversation can truly impact the success of your, your business, whatever it may be. Mm. So I think that's such a great answer. And so again, you've mentioned all these great people, but um, I'm going to reiterate it. You've talked about Mark Hillary and Peter Ryan, who are running CX files. They're great friends of Vistio and amazing to follow on LinkedIn specifically, but who are a couple more standout leaders in the industry that you follow when you get up in the morning and you're doing that scan of Twitter and LinkedIn that you look to um, for advice 
or even people that you look to collaborate with, have those lunches with, things like that? Yeah, well, first on the, the Peter and Mark, I mean, you're exactly right. They do a great job on LinkedIn. They've really fostered a community and created kind of network effects that so many people are benefiting from, not just those guys. And so the conversation that they spark and are generating is huge. I mean, that's such a, an important thing. And I, you know, I take my hat off to them and I'm, uh, I love to stay involved in that conversation that is continually regenerating itself and innovating itself. Um, you know, an exa- a couple of quick examples aside from that in the industry would be, you know, a guy like Danielle Julien, the founder of Teleperformance. I mean, I first met him when I was at IDC in the early 2000s. And at the time, you know, here's a founder and CEO um, that was unique in so many ways, but one of them was his willingness to spend time with analysts. He'd come in and talk to us about his ideas and what he was thinking. And so to follow him and his firm and so many people at his firm is something because they're, they're the biggest player in the BPO, the, 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 the CX space in that aspect of things. But they're also in the midst of a giant transformation of sorts um, on a massive scale, like you know, shifting the aircraft carrier and so kind of leading the way that the entire industry has to do. So it's really important to follow guys like that, but also, you know, Teletech and Ken Tuckman is a very smart um, guy and, and you'd be wise to watch what he has to say. He's long been ahead of the curve on the tech enabled aspects of BPO. Um, Sykes for a real great understanding of operational efficiencies in BPO. And then, you know, we were talking about cybersecurity and then this, Firms that worked with BPOs like Finscale is a great company out of Dublin that I love to follow those guys on, uh, keep an eye on on Twitter and other places and touch base with them. Um, but also another quick point I need to make, and there's so many others I could mention, but I also, I love to read a lot of stuff that is outside of the industry that has nothing to do with uh, uh, the contact ecosystem or telecom uh, whether it be history or, um, you know, fiction, because it gives you fresh perspectives that come back um, to make the industry more relevant and it, it allows you to see it in new ways. So I do a lot of reading outside of the space as well. And I actually find that in conversation, it actually sparks a lot of great ideas. So um, at the end of the day, if you're not having fun with this stuff, um, then it's, you know, you're kind of missing the point, in my opinion. That's an incredible question. Out of curiosity, what was the last fiction book that you read that spurred inspiration or gave you some insight in relation to into what we do? Yeah, well, I'm always I'm a, a lunatic for James Joyce in Irish literature, so I've reread Finnegan's Wake, and it actually, <clears throat> Mark Hillary would laugh if he heard this because he's a Joyce fan as well, but it actually has a lot to do with everything we've been talking about because Joyce created a world of, when you pick up Finnegan's Wake, most people think it's nonsensical language because he took like he was a maniac. He took like 60 languages and mashed them together 
to create his own language. But what he was really doing was anticipating a world uh, where technology was going to create um, a certain kind of a chaos. Um, but all the themes are in there that are in some of the you know more straightforward books as well. And um, if you read Finnegan's Wake, um, you know the best way to approach it is to read it out loud, and you can start. You don't understand what he's saying on a logical or a conscious level, but if you keep at it, you, a magical back to this word magic will start to happen in that themes and ideas will start to crop up images in your mind and you don't know why and it's the sound of the words and so i even had this idea that finnegan's wake is itself like an ai machine and that it generates it continues to generate ideas from you the reader so joyce was such a maniac that everybody who reads finnegan's wake is like they're creating their own version of the novel and their own version of the book because it's forcing you to associate, free associate ideas um, from your own experience and memories. And so everyone who reads it creates, it's like an AI feeding off of a data lake that is creating a whole new story. But even having said that, everybody's story will be both unique, but the themes will remain the same, the key themes that humanity has wrestled with over time. You know, if you read Sapiens by uh, 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 Harari, um, they're the same themes that we've always, war, technology, change, it's all in Finnegan's wake, you know, markets rising and falling. So uh, you probably didn't anticipate such a long answer, but, um, um, I, oh, another great book that I recently, that is much more straightforward, and kind of a uh, great plane, if you're on a flight, read is I Am Pilgrim. Um, so get on and check out I Am Pilgrim is an incredible read. And um, it's kind of it's it's relevant in a lot of ways to some of the things that are happening um, right now. And then my other quick book that I just finished is not fiction, but um, uh, it's called Dead as Doornails. And it's about Dublin in the 50s. So these great writers like Flynn O'Brien and um, uh, Patrick Kavanaugh, the poet, and Brendan Bain were, um, you know, back then you didn't have social media, so they go to the pub and you had to engage in conversation after a few Guinness. And that's all those guys did. And they created some amazing uh, works out of that. You know, they had their own challenges and troubles and negatives that derived out of that kind of lifestyle. But um, just a reminder, maybe uh, maybe the final point that it helps me make is that at the end of the day, coming out of the pandemic, we all want to get back out there and uh, meet people in person and um, ideally over a Guinness to discuss the future. So um, how's that for an ending? That's an awesome ending. And with that, I can't wait to someday have a Guinness with you, Stephen. This yes. has been very, very cool. And I love... Um, We've never talked about how fiction, reading some fiction books can impact our lives professionally. So I think that's a great way to end the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Haley, for having me. And go Celtics. It's game three tonight. I hope everybody's pulling for my Boston Celtics. Oh, we might have some some people on the opposing side. But yes, I will try to push people as much as possible to go for those Celtics. And I, I look forward to talking soon. Thanks again, Haley. It was great to talk. 
for quality assurance. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And to learn more about Vistio, visit vistio.io.